We're delighted to welcome, as we do on Wednesdays at this time, Dr. Mitch Shulman, our medical correspondent. Uh, good morning, Dr. Mitch. Good morning to you, sir. So um, we had we, we discussed yesterday, and I'll start with this just because it's carrying on from a discussion we began yesterday about a study that came out, and one of the first that really looks at thousands of people since uh, the legalization of cannabis uh, and says that a significant portion, not all, uh, more uh, inclined to happen with those who use more cannabis, uh, have anxiety disorders that uh, they present that are uh, seemingly related to their use of cannabis. Uh, uh, do you see any of this in your work uh, or hear about it in the context of uh, some uh, more noticeable prevalence of this, uh, given the legalization of cannabis? Especially when it was first legalized. See, I'm an emergency room physician, and I would classically see young males. For some reason, it was mainly young males, and this report seems to emphasize that. Young males up to the age of 24 not had not used marijuana before, legal, they assume it's safe, and I saw all sorts of things, psychotic breakdowns, anxiety, and something called hyperemesis disorder. And this is where, because of their consuming a fair amount of cannabis, they develop severe tummy pain with nausea and vomiting that they can't control. Hmm. Um, and it's interesting because you would have thought, given the history of marijuana, that it would be a calming medication, and it can be. Hmm. In some people, it helps them overcome pain, it helps them overcome anxiety, it helps them to sleep. But in some people, it actually triggers anxiety. And I warn people, uh, you can get palpitations of the heart, you can feel more anxious. It's just the way you react to marijuana. And you have to be careful about that. You have to be aware of it. I think the real message here is nothing is necessarily safe. Uh, everything has effects that you need to be aware of. If you use it appropriately in the right setting, it may be perfect for you, but be aware of the fact that there may be problems and be conscious of what you need to do if you develop those problems, which is probably stop using it. Um, it's just the way it is. The other thing you have to realize is we're seeing a lot in elderly people uh, that we never saw before. They never used marijuana on a regular basis, and they're not aware of the fact that the marijuana that's now available tends to be stronger, more potent than the stuff that they may have used in the 60s. I know so you, that's the other yeah. thing I'm one of them, Dr. Mitch. You've got actually people now who, who might describe as getting on uh, in, in their years a little bit who actually used marijuana many years ago because it's when it became something that was happening a lot on campus and so on and may not, as I haven't, and, and I haven't started again, but I haven't used it for like 50, 50 years and so or 45 years. And so they, as you say, things have changed. Uh, and, and there is a particular caution that came in this study, which I'm sure you would uh, uh, endorse, which is that younger people in particular have to be uh, careful with respect to how much they use and when they use it, uh, just in terms of their continued brain development and so on. Exactly. The human brain really doesn't stop developing, some could say ever, but physically from about the, up until about the age of 21. And so we're very, very careful, whatever it is that people might use that could affect brain functionings, whether it's cannabis, whether it's cigarettes, whether it's alcohol, any of these things. We want them to be careful, especially in the setting of the developing brain. And again, uh, this is not to, you know, point an evil finger. This is not talking about reefer madness. This is not silliness. But I think people need to understand things so they can make wise and informed choices. Exactly. And be careful.
We learned a lot during COVID. I certainly did when I was mayor here in the city that when you would see outbreaks take place of COVID, that it was only a matter of time given travel, travel patterns and the way the world seems to work that you would see uh, the, that wave come here. And of course, we're now seeing measles exploding in Europe. And uh, I think it's true to say, like COVID, that it's only a matter of time before we see these kinds of outbreaks get to this country. I certainly hope not. I hope that people are wise enough to make sure that their kids are up to date for their vaccines. And if they, you know, missed out because of COVID and all the restrictions on being able to see a doctor and all that, make certain that your kids are caught up now. If you have not been vaccinated, get vaccinated. The combined uh, measles, mumps, rubella and varicella chickenpox vaccine, safe, uh, very effective. And the problem is the numbers have fallen. People just aren't being vaccinated because of the confusion and disruptions caused by COVID. And we're seeing a dramatic increase. You cannot believe the number of cases that have increased that we're seeing in parts of Europe right now. And it's all because vaccination rates have fallen below what we call herd immunity, which means that not everybody may respond to a vaccine, but if you get enough people vaccinated, and we're talking about somewhere around 95% of the susceptible population vaccinated, then you can protect people and protect those who may not respond to the vaccine. And we've fallen before below those numbers. So yes, there's a risk here in Canada. Last year, I think there were only something like 12 cases of measles in Canada, almost all of them imported, people picking them up when they were traveling. You can expect you're going to see it here, and you cannot take measles for granted. Uh, measles has the potential to cause serious illness, disability, even in normal people, deafness, pneumonia, even death. Uh, and though the rates of death are very low, thank goodness, here it, among well-nourished children, they can be very high in specific populations. Kids that are malnourished, kids that have underlying health issues, and adults who have similar problems. So we cannot take it for granted, and it's extremely contagious. Uh, they say that uh, if you're staying in a room with someone who has measles, just passing through there for a little while, as long as two hours after they've left that room, you can pick it up, and nine out of ten people who aren't immune will develop measles if exposed to it, even that slight wow. way. So extremely contagious, got to be taken seriously. And uh, the answer, much as some people may have some issues with it, I don't think they used to, but uh, is vaccination. We'd almost kind of wiped it out, as you say, to the point where we had a handful of cases in the entire country. Uh, a common food additive uh, that uh, we're now learning more about these different things that we add to food over time uh, might be interfering with our gut health. Tell us more about that. This is scary, and it's something I actually had not realized. There's a class of bacterially made antibiotics. Bacteria fight battles amongst themselves to gain a foothold and to beat out the competitors. And they use a group of peptides, proteins slung together, that we have called lantibiotics. They're commonly added to foods, to cheese, to beer, to almost everything, to keep bad bacteria from proliferating and to preserve the food for longer. Well, no one, interestingly enough, had looked at the effect of these antibiotics on our gut. And it turns out they can have a dramatic, although it appears reversible, thank goodness, effect on the gut's bacteria. Now, we need those gut bacteria. Not only do they keep us in balance, but also they help metabolize our food and give us very useful compounds that we can't make ourselves from some of the food that we eat. So these antibiotics may actually be having a very profound effect on our health and specifically on the health of our gut bacteria. 
a field that had not been looked at at all. This uh, article, this study in ACS, the American Chemical Society's Chemical Biology uh, Journal, uh, looks at it and some others that they've manufactured on their own. And I think it opens an area of concern that we need to be thinking about. Certainly, I've never seen this stuff mentioned on any of the food labels that I've looked at. And so I think there's a huge gap here that we need to know more about. And I'm going to have to keep my eyes open for where this goes. Well, that's why uh, it is useful to have uh, you talking to people on this broader scale, both because you can inform them about things, inform them about things that might be misapprehensions they have, encourage them to get vaccinated, but also keep your eye on things like this on our behalf so that we can uh, make sure that if this food additive is causing too many problems, then we can deal with that. So Dr. Mitch Schulman, thank you very much as always for White Coat Wednesday and for uh, your contributions to an interesting program. I love this. You take care and have a great week. You too.